0: Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. So this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, another one of the names of God. So we've been in a bit of a series looking at the names of God we see through the Old Testament. And this morning, we are going to look at Uh, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Um, I've been writing this preach the back end of this week and it's been both difficult and helpful for me in equal measure this week. Um, We have had a week in our household and our family that's not been necessarily peaceful. Um, But you know what, kind of coming back and knowing I've got a preach to write and to talk about, knowing and reading of God's peace this week uh, and having that as something I've been doing has been really helpful for me to come and sit back at the feet of Jesus to understand the peace that he offers and to really kind of know that and need that this week has been really really good. So my prayer this morning is that as we all come and sit together at the feet of Jesus we'll all know something more of God's peace this week. Um, Lord I just pray that you'll be with us this morning. I pray that you would show us more of who you are, more of the peace that you have for us um, I pray that each one of us would leave uh, this, um, later on this afternoon knowing more of you, more of your goodness. Amen. Amen. So we're going to follow the thread of peace through Scripture this morning. We're going to start uh, in the Old Testament looking at when Jehovah Shalom was first spoken about God. And then we're going to have a look at the ministry of Jesus and how he uh, offers us peace. And then what does that look like for us uh, today? So, uh, this name for God, Jehovah Shalom, is first revealed in the book of Judges, chapter 6. And it's in the account of Gideon, which some of you may know. Um, So, as you're finding that in your Bibles, Judges, chapter 6, we're going to start from verse 12. But what's happening in this piece of scripture is that the Israelites are at the mercy of the Midianites. So, they are hiding in caves. They're scared to plant anything or to keep animals because the Midianites keep coming and destroying everything. They are not having a great time. And they reach a point of desperation and they call out to God for help. God sends a prophet who basically says, uh, God rescued you from Egypt and he told you not to worship with the gods, and you went ahead and did that anyway, so this is not a great time for you. Um, and then we see something happen that actually happens a lot in the Old Testament a kind of a way that stories and accounts are told, where we see this really big picture. Of what is going on with Israel and then suddenly we're with one person and we're seeing God's encounter with one person. We um, looked at something similar a few weeks ago when we looked at um, the account of Moses in the burning bush and we're seeing the plight of the Israelites in Egypt and then suddenly we're with Moses and that's what's happening here. So we see the situation that's going on in Israel and then suddenly we're with Gideon and in verse uh, 12 we see that uh, God sends an angel of the Lord to speak to Gideon. Um, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in, the strength I have, uh, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, "I will wait until you return." Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and, um, and from an e- I can never say this word, ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, "Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth." And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Oprah and the Abbezrites. You know, I read this piece of scripture over and over this week as I was preparing, and I was thinking to myself, what is it in here that leads Gideon to declare the Lord is peace? Because to me, there are quite a few other characteristics that God is revealing of himself that to me seem more obvious as we, as we read it. It might be that we look in verse 14 and we see. Uh, that the Lord is one who sends us, maybe. Or in verse 16, the Lord is with us. Or we might see the power of uh, the angel of the Lord when he sh- kind of the fire comes out from the staff and we see that the Lord is powerful. But peace isn't something that initially strikes me as we read through this bit of scripture. But I think to understand why Gideon chooses peace, it's, a lot of it hangs in verses 22 and 23. Um, you know God will use Gideon to resolve this wider situation of unrest that they're, that they're facing with the Midianites, and we see that as we read further in the account of Gideon, but it's peace in himself that Gideon is recognizing when he's declaring the Lord is peace." You know it's, it was understood uh, with Jewish people that, um, that you can't see. It's not just understood with Jewish people. It's, you see it in Scripture, and I'll give you the reference in a second. But you cannot see the face of God and live. We have that in Exodus chapter thirty-three, verse twenty. You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. God says. And we may say, well, God, um, Midian? No, Gideon, not Midian. Gideon isn't seeing the face of God. It says here that it's an, an angel of the Lord that visits Gideon. Uh, the Lord being all in capitals, and we talked a few weeks ago about how when we see the Lord all in capitals in the Old Testament, it's a substitution for the divine name of God. And so it's an angel, a representative sent by the God of the Bible to Gideon. But in verse 14, we see the Lord turned to him and said, and then Gideon replies. And in verse 16, again, the Lord answered. And so... What is going on here? Are we we feeling a little bit confused by this? Is it the angel of the Lord that's visiting? Is it the Lord that's visiting? If it is the Lord that's visiting, how is Gideon not dead? Because if anyone sees the face of the Lord, then then they die. We read that in Scripture. What is actually happening here is something called a Christophany, which is a fun word, isn't it? I think it's probably Greek, but I don't know that for sure, so don't quote me. A Christophany. And a Christophany is um, a physical manifestation of Jesus... But in the Old Testament, before we see his birth into like our timeline, that's what a Christophany is. And so there are other examples of this through the Old Testament. Some we might be familiar with, like um, when so Liv preached a few weeks ago about um, from Daniel the four men, the fourth man in the furnace. The fourth man in the furnace is understood to be Jesus. When we read of um, the Lord wrestling with Abraham, that is understood to be. Jesus. That is a Christophany. It's a physical manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament before we see his birth and read of that in the Gospels. And we know that Jesus is God. We know that Jesus is fully man and fully God and we also know that people can see the face of Jesus and live because we read through the gospels and we read in acts of people seeing Jesus and living and that is that is okay but gideon doesn't know that he doesn't he's not living in the same place in the same timeline we are he has no understanding really he knows the messiah is coming but he has no understanding really of Jesus but he recognizes god in this angel of the lord that visits him and he recognizes the power that the lord has that jesus has when he visits him and he Thinks to himself, oh no, I have seen the face of God and now death is nigh. Like that's there's so much, there's zero peace in that situation, is there? He thinks, I've seen God, I know that if I see God, I'm gonna die, that's what is gonna happen to me. And in verse 23, it says, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And then Gideon declares that the Lord is peace. And Peace for two reasons, I guess. The first one is Gideon knows now he's not going to die, and that's going to bring some oh, that's going to bring some peace, isn't it? I would have thought. But also, Gideon is recognizing that this is the Lord that I have seen, and all these things he's just spoken to me, because it's God that has said these things, these things are true. It is true that I am a mighty warrior. It's true that um, I will where does it say something like not leaving any of the Midianites alive. It is true that God is with me. It is true that I can go in the strength that I have. And so Gideon has this peace that the situation that he's facing is going to be okay. The peace he has is a confidence in the fact that he's had an encounter with God that will empower him to go and do the things that God is calling him to do. And so we see revealed in this piece of scripture, God is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The piece of scripture we're actually going to focus on more this morning is in um, the ministry of Jesus. So we've seen Jesus appear to Gideon, but then many years later we see Jesus physically on the earth bringing peace to those around him. And so we're going to turn to Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 35 to 41. we see in here a physical representation of the peace that is available through Jesus. So just a little bit of context before we read through this. Um, Jesus has been preaching, he's been telling parables, he's been going about, and he's deciding, right, we're, we're, off, we're off somewhere else now. We're going, um, we're going somewhere else. We read from verse 35. That day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, uh, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, um, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, there's so much more in this passage than we can really dig out uh, in just just one message on a Sunday morning. Um, But, you know, part of what is in here is that in order to understand peace, we've got to appreciate that there is unrest, that there is uncertainty, that there are storms. And it's really easy for us to feel peace when, I don't know, maybe we're we're in the bath, the spa music's going, the candles are lit. It's easy to feel peace in that situation, isn't it? It's easy to feel peace when we're maybe around at someone's house and we're enjoying good food and good company and it's easy to feel peace in those situations. But to feel peace in situations that are so far from naturally peaceful, that is where we fully experience the supernatural peace that God brings. And without... That unrest and that uncertainty, we can't experience the supernatural peace that God brings. And so to understand peace, we need to understand that there is is a storm. There is a storm. Don't you think it's interesting? I think it's interesting anyway, that Jesus chose this moment for them to cross the lake. Because we understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and given that, He knew that there was a storm coming before before he even suggested that they get in the boat. He knew that they were going to face this storm on the way across. So why not wait until it's a nice, calm, sunny day with no risk of storm until they cross? And I think it's because Jesus wants to reveal something more of himself to the disciples that he can only do in the storm. He's going to reveal something of his peace to his disciples, and he's going to reveal to them that he is Lord over creation. But in order for the disciples to see this more of who Jesus is, they had to face the storm. You know, Jesus knew there was going to be a storm, and he sent the disciples anyway. And Jesus knows that the way that he sends us, sometimes there's going to be a storm, but he sends us anyway. And he sends us because there's something of himself that he wants to reveal to us in the storm. You know, when it's easygoing, and when the water's calm to this metaphor is going to get used a lot of the storms, so just forewarning you of that. When we know that the water is calm and we can easily navigate ourselves across, you know, there's no, there's no need in a way for, for faith in God. We, we believe we can do it all ourselves, we can see that where we're going, but as soon as the storms come, as soon as the wind and the waves start, we very, very quickly realise that we are not equipped on our own to deal with the storms that life throws at us we realise in that moment that we need to rely on Jesus. We need to rely on Jehovah Shalom in that moment. And Jesus knows there will be storms, but he sends, us, he sends us anyway because he wants to reveal something more of himself to us in, in those times. Um, a few years ago, um, me and Dom and Mel Martin and Alison and Barry, we went on a little trip. To Israel, uh, and we actually got to go onto the Sea of Galilee, which was unbelievable. We got in a boat, and we headed out onto the Sea of Galilee, and it was easily the highlight of the trip for me. Just seeing the hills around and the water, and we uh, we went out on the boat and we, we sang worship to God, and it was just incredible. Uh, we got a photo. I thought, oh, there it is. Look, it's just look at it. It's just so nice. There's a couple of little white clouds in the sky. The water is pretty calm. 30 minutes or so after that photo was taken, chaos. Dark clouds, chucking it down with rain. came. It came across unbelievably quickly. And I felt so privileged that we got to see that because now when we read this passage of scripture, I really understand how quickly a storm can come in in this area. We got onto a boat quite happily, no inkling that there would be any kind of storm. Unfortunately, we were back on dry land by the time that the storm came. But you could easily see how the disciples would have had no idea that there was going to be a storm coming. They would have just, because if they had have had an inkling, they'd have probably said, no, let's not get in the boat. But there's no reason why they would have known. And I've seen that firsthand. But in in this area, storms come in fast and they come out of nowhere. And for us, sometimes storms come in fast and they they come out of nowhere. Sometimes we do see a storm coming. Sometimes, you know, we see a dark cloud on the horizon and we feel the mugginess in the air and we know that a storm is coming. But even then, we can't really prepare for what it's going to be like when the storm actually hits us. We think we know what it's going to be like, but we can't really prepare. And sometimes we're at life group or we're about to put dinner on the table or at work and we get a phone call or someone comes around and suddenly we find ourselves just like the disciples in Verse 37 with waves breaking over the boat and feeling like we're being nearly swamped. One minute we're fine, and the next minute we feel like we're in a sinking ship. It's even more important that we rely on Jesus to bring peace because we can't prepare for the storms. Even the ones we think we can prepare for, we can't prepare for, and there will be ones that we never even saw coming in the first place. So we need to rely on Jesus when we're outside of the storm, that when we're in the storm, he will bring peace to us because we can't prepare what it's, for what it's going to be like when the rain comes and the rain, uh, the waves are crashing and we're clinging on for dear life. And so we have to trust that whenever and wherever the storms come from, that Jesus will give us peace. You know, I was going to say, when I was writing this, and I was thinking, you know, being a Christian might make us think that we'll never encounter storms. But I thought anyone that's been a Christian for more than about 30 seconds knows that that's that's not true. None of us might think that being a Christian will never encounter any storms. We face storms just as much as anybody else. We have external circumstances that cause storms. We have our own emotions, our own health, our own mental well-being that cause storms. We have other people's decisions and actions that cause storms in our lives just as much as anybody else. But do you want to know what is really encouraging? I thought so. In verse 38, we see Jesus was in the stern. Jesus is in the boat with us. That's what makes it different for us when we navigate storms. Jesus is in the boat. And just because Jesus is in the boat, it doesn't mean there won't be any storms. We see this right here. Jesus is in the boat and there is a storm. But with Jesus in the boat, the boat isn't sinking. The boat isn't sinking because he's right there and he's wanting to give peace and he's waiting to bring peace. But Jesus doesn't always do what he does in this account. In this account, he stands up and he calms the external circumstance. He calms the wind and the waves. And for us, he doesn't always do that. He doesn't always calm and change the circumstance. Sometimes he does more for us what he did for Gideon, where he brings internal peace. He allows us to know that an encounter with him will empower us to go and to keep moving forward into the next things that are happening, to keep pushing through the storm. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that is impossible for us to fully understand is a peace that allows us to keep our hearts and our minds guarded from the storm. It's not that we don't experience the storm, but it's that we know in the storm and we can be confident in the storm that Jesus is with us and he's bringing us his peace and he's offering us his peace for us to navigate through the storm with him, to have our hearts and our minds guarded. But you know, peace doesn't mean separating ourselves from our other emotions. We read of emotions through scripture. We read of Jesus experiencing emotions that we might think of as like negative or less than ideal emotions. We see that in Scripture. We see Jesus grieving. We see him frustrated. We see him angry. But we've talked over the last few weeks about how when, G- when God says he is something, he is that always and he is it in his entirety. So if God is saying, I am peace, the Lord is peace, then he is always peace. And so, therefore, peace and those other emotions aren't mutually exclusive. They can coexist. And that feels really difficult for us because I often think that peace has to be a removal of all of those things that we think of as being negative emotions. But those emotions are okay and they're not mutually exclusive from peace. But you know, peace is also not numbness. It's not sort of just turning a blind eye or not engaging with a situation because it's easier and more peaceful to not engage. It's not completely sheltering ourselves emotionally from difficult things or putting things in boxes. It's knowing that in everything that the storm entails, whatever, and every storm is different, isn't it? Every storm that we face has different decisions we have to make, different emotions that we go through, different worries that we might have. Each one is different. But it's knowing that Jesus is in the boat that he's with us, that he cares about us, that he wants to bring peace in our hearts and our minds, a peace that surpasses all of, all understanding. It says in this account that the boat was nearly swamped. The boat was nearly swamped, and it was at that point that the disciples chose to wake up Jesus and ask him to help them. And it made me think, really, how often do we do this. How often do we wait to the point where the waves are crashing and we're almost swamped before we decide that is the time that we're going to involve Jesus in this storm? We think, is this definitely a storm? Is this definitely too difficult for me to do by myself? Can I definitely not manage this? And then we think, oh, hang on, actually Jesus is in the boat, isn't he? Let's wake him up and see if he can help us. And I get it, we're human and we like to think we've got a handle on things when we when we don't. But I wonder if maybe sometimes if we woke Jesus up sooner, if we went to Jesus sooner with the storm that we're facing, whether we could avoid the point of overwhelm. We see it through Scripture because it's humanity that we read of in Scripture and their journey with God. And we see it in ourselves that you know, the, the um, Israelites we spoke about earlier, they waited until they were so impoverished, it says in the Bible, so impoverished by the Midianites that they called out to God for help. We read when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt of how desperate their situation was before they cried out to God for help. And we do it too. But some, sometimes we let it get too far before we remember that Jesus is in the boat. But you know what is so good? is that Imagine the situation, This they're on this boat, probably not a very big fishing boat really, there are waves coming up, there's risk of capsizing, there's water coming in the boat, the wind is howling. And Jesus stands up in the middle of all that and he says, quiet, be still. And the wind and the waves die down. Even at the height of the storm, Jesus is powerful to bring peace, even at the height of the storm. It doesn't matter how long we've been in the storm. It doesn't matter how big the storm is that is raging around us. Jesus is powerful to bring peace in the storm. And he wants to give us the confidence that we've had an encounter with him that will enable us to keep going to get to the other side. Because that is where we're going. And it's where the disciples were going. They were going to the other side, it says. And Jesus doesn't lead us down routes where he knows there are storms just for no purpose and no reason. And when we read in Mark, Jesus doesn't say, let's go out for a jolly on the lake. This looks like a nice day for a sail. He says, No, we're going, let us go to the other side. They're on their way somewhere. They're on their way somewhere. But the disciples needed to pick something up in their experience in the storm. They needed to pick up the peace that Jesus was showing them to take with them to the other side. After the storm, Jesus says, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples are having their faith built over time and over their journey with Jesus. They're seeing him perform miracles and they'll go on to see him perform even more miracles. And their faith in him and faith in the peace that he can bring them is being built over time as he reveals more and more of himself to them. And here we see Jesus bring peace to a storm. And we've talked about this in Metaphor quite a lot. But Jesus is literally in this account bringing peace to a storm. In the physical, he is bringing peace to a storm. He's speaking to nature, and he is having nature listen to him, having creation listen to him and behave itself. And the disciples would have known what this meant in terms of who Jesus was, because only God, only the God of the Bible who created creation can speak to creation and have it obey him. And they're seeing Jesus, they're seeing their teacher and their friend stand up in the middle of a storm and and speak to the wind and the waves. And in that moment, they know this this man is, is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is God. And they were going to need all of that faith that Jesus is building in them as they get to the other side of the lake. When they get to where they're going, they're going to need that faith. But they didn't necessarily need the fullness of that faith for a little while yet. Jesus has got more time with them to keep building their faith, to keep helping them know that the peace that he can bring. It's not until another 11 chapters when Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested and he's crucified, where they're going to need all of this faith that, God is, that Jesus has been building in them over time. It's at that moment where they have to really decide, do I believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Am I going to stick with this, or am I going to hide back in the shadows? The peace that God gives us in the storm and the confidence in the faith that He's going to carry us through to the other side, it's for a purpose. And sometimes when we're in a storm, that is the last thing that we want to hear. And sometimes it is the only thing that we want to hear. That the peace that Jesus brings and our ability to trust him, to bring peace to our hearts, that it's for a, that it's for a purpose, that maybe it's to help someone else recognize Jesus is in the boat with them in a similar storm. That it's helping build our faith in God for the miraculous. But, you know, we won't necessarily see the purpose of the storm for another 11 chapters. We don't know when God is going to take us to the place that he's taking us to, when he's going to take us to the other side. But we know that there is a purpose and that we're going somewhere. And we're going to close in worship in just a second. But I want to encourage us with just a final piece of scripture before we close. Because maybe at the moment, you know, we've talked a lot this morning, actually, and I hadn't really shared much about what I was going to preach on this morning, but we've sung about how God is faithful through every storm. Sue brought a word as we were praying this morning about the storms that people are facing and needing to know God's faithfulness, needing to know God's peace. And it might be that at the minute we are in a storm and we're wondering, where, where is Jehovah Shalom? I'm told and I read in Scripture that God is who, is, God is who he says he is always and he is peace, but where is he? Does he bring peace now still? Or do we just read of it in scripture and now that is that? But I just want to encourage you with a verse from, uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what's about to happen to him, about how he's going to be arrested and betrayed. And But he's talking to them as well about what's going to happen after that. What, what's life going to be like for them once Jesus has gone? And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Know the Father sends the Holy Spirit to us today so that we can experience the peace of Jesus, the peace that surpasses all understanding. It might feel sometimes like Jesus isn't in the boat, but he is in the boat. He might not be calming the external circumstances, but he can bring peace into our hearts and into our minds that transcends all understanding, that makes no sense with the storm that we're facing. And we're going to pray in just a moment, but I want to give an opportunity as well as part of this moment for for any of us who maybe haven't ever thought about the fact that Jesus could be in the boat with us, that we see ourselves in storms and we find that confusing. And, you know, there's so many questions, I think, when we first come to faith about lots of things. But knowing that Jesus is in the boat with us is the first step to answering a lot of those questions, I think. And so we're going to pray through a prayer this morning that if you want to decide this morning that you want to acknowledge that Jesus is in the boat, you want to start on a journey and a life with him, then we're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And if that's you this morning, raise your hand. And then I'm going to pray. I know we've prayed a few times this morning for the storms that we're facing, but I feel like we'd be remiss not to pray again. Into that, so we're going to do that too. But let's pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace to forgive me and your love to change me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. With your help, I will live my life for you. Amen. Amen. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads and if you've made that decision for the first time this morning to follow Jesus can I just ask you to be brave and raise your hand and um, and as you do that it's just kind of a symbol to yourself a moment to mark in time Um, but also it helps us to kind of know to come and have a chat with you and pray with you this morning Lord I thank you I thank you that you are Jehovah Shalom, the Lord that brings peace, the Lord that is peace. And I pray this morning that whilst many of us in this room are are facing storms, and they might be storms that have appeared out of nowhere and that have made us feel as though we're going to be overwhelmed and that we're going to capsize in our boats, or whether they're storms that have been rumbling on for years. Lord, I thank you that in every circumstance you can bring peace because you are peace and so Lord I pray I pray your peace over everyone in this room Lord I pray your shalom would it be a peace that guards our hearts and our minds a peace that enables us to know that you are with us in the storm that you have purpose in the storm that you are bringing us through to the other side where we can see more of your goodness more of your miraculous that we can help others to see you in the boat with us Lord I pray for peace for us in our hearts and minds but I do pray peace over situations that those situations would quiet be still just like you stood up in that boat in the middle of the storm and you told the wind and the waves quiet be still Lord we pray that over situations and circumstances as well that we would still learn from them what we need to learn from them but that they would that they would fall away that your peace would reign Lord Lord amen amen why don't we stand as we close in worship this morning that's all for now we pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that god called you to be god bless you